and there's still time. Welcome to a very special episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. It's episode 50. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And we're going to bring you some festive 50 treats. So we have to start this podcast with the the sad news. The Whitecaps are no longer top of the Western Conference. You mean they're out of the race for the Supporter Shield? Well, they're, they're down to sixth now. They are one of seven unbeaten teams still in MLS, and after three weeks, that, that to me, Steve, just seems quite a high number, seven unbeaten teams, and I think it's just going to show how tight both the East and the West is going to be this year, and how much every point counts. Oh, definitely, and I think uh, for the Whitecaps themselves, I know a lot of people are disappointed in the way they're playing, especially after the opening game, but to predict one win and two draws of the first three games, that's a pretty high benchmark considering where everybody thought they were in the middle of the offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of swithering back and forward. Part of me is like, oh, it's not been some good performances on the road. Then I have to try and check myself. And it's like, you know, we just got two points from some tough road games that teams are going to struggle in New England. Teams will struggle in Chivas. And we're unbeaten and we should take the positives. It's just hard because... The way that some of the aspects of the team are playing, which we'll come to later in the podcast, but let, let's look at the New England game. We didn't do a, a post-game show on Saturday. What did you make of the overall game? Once again, it was the first half was poor. Um, I, I'm not sure, and we could talk about this in a bit, but they they seem to not want to attack on the, along the deck. It was always getting the ball up as quick as possible, and then the ball was being turned over. The second half was much better, obviously. We, everybody will attest to that, that they, they play, started playing better. Even the last five minutes of the first half, they, they actually got a good chance. Kenny Miller, I think that was the first shot on target when he turned around and got the shot on, and Shuttleworth was able to stop it. Yeah, in stoppage time. So that's two straight games. The first two road games where they had to wait a long time before getting the first shot on target. Uh, Chivas was like the 69th minute, and... The New England game was in the last five minutes of the first half, so they need. I, I think even if they're playing on the road, they need to get more shots on the keeper and and test them early. Especially Shuttleworth, who, as Sean Donahue talked about in the in the pregame show, uh, he he's been very shaky. And they even acquired uh, Pickens from um, Colorado, and you think somebody would be a little bit more shakier, knowing that somebody's you know there's more people in there to compete for the top job. Yeah, that, that is a big concern of mine. The fact that the Whitecaps are starting slow. And I, I don't know whether it's deliberate. Is it that Carl Robinson is telling the team to kind of 
batting down the hatches a little bit in the first half and then really go for it in the second half, which is different to what he's kind of saying publicly because he's, he's wanting like free-flowing attack in football. But it's fine saying that. Realistically, you can't just be gung-ho, in, especially in away games, and you kind of have to sign the opponents out. But the Whitecaps cannot rely on being a second-half team, especially in home games, um, teams are going to find that out and they're going to really attack and really go for it in the first half against them. And New England did that. In the first half, they, they launched quite a lot of, of waves of attack, but they let themselves down. They, they fumbled the ball out of play a lot. The passes broke down. They were really attacking heavily up the left wing. Seemed to single out Jordan Harvey as being one of the weak links. And he did get a little bit of his usual abuse that he gets from people on Twitter but he held firm and we kept a clean sheet. Yeah, maybe teams are seeing him as the weak link, but so far, he's he's not been someone that's actually caved in with it. I think LeBron really helped him on that left side too. He's, yeah. He really calmed things down. One thing I wanted to ask you about, what, what your opinion on the, the first half, the people were really complaining about the ball being hoofed up the field. Was that a matter of... You think it was their strategy to do that to test the and test the speed and how they how New England could handle the speed of and pace of uh, the Whitecaps attackers, or was it more that the Revolution were applying a lot of pressure up top and the the, the back end really the back line really had no time in in getting the ball up along the deck to the midfielders. Yeah, both O'Brien and Leveron were quite guilty of, of just like booting the ball up the field and a lot of the time when they were doing it it was just going to a New England defender there was maybe Mattox was up there on his own or Miller was up there on his own and occasionally both of them were there but the ball was not getting to them because the the wind was right in their faces it was strong wind so they were struggling to get the ball up so it was going from the Caps defence to the New England defence and then that just started another wave of attacks for me it looked like they were just trying to, to break the play up so they could recover a little bit, get them, get themselves together, get some shape. Um, that they thought, well, we're playing against the wind. The best thing we can try and do here is just clear the ball as quickly as possible. But it wasn't leading to any attacks. And that is part of the reason why nothing was happening on target until late in the first half. And of course, in the first half as well, you had one of the chances where... Beautiful ball was played into Mattox. Mattox did so well to bring it down and control it. And then instead of hitting it anywhere at the keeper, trying to force a save, and we had a big debate on Twitter about this, about whether was it an impossible angle? Could he have got a shot off? Look, even if he wasn't going to get it anywhere that was going to be a goal, you have to get it towards the keeper in the hope that he's going to do an outstead, like what he did in Portland, fumble the ball, but instead, Matic squaffed it and it went right across the six-yard line and out. And the few chances they were getting when they went blootering it up the field, they, they just weren't doing anything with it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you there. The, like, even if you shoot it off a keeper, maybe it bounces, hits at the defender, goes in the net, it's an own goal or something like that. At least you have a different opportunity. Uh, there was nobody up there with him at all, so it was like the, pointless to even get it across the six-yard box and that seems to be another issue there never seems to be any support for the attackers we always blame the attackers for not doing anything up top there seems to be never the timely runs into the box when one attacker is going in there to maybe clean up a rebound and just you know slot an easy goal in there never seems to be an easy goal for the Whitecaps 
No, the, there's not, and the lack of support is very noticeable in, the, in these last two games. Now, as regular listeners will know, I'm very critical of Darren Mattix, but I'm going to stick up for him here. I thought that first half in particular on Saturday, and I tweeted this out and some folk disagreed, but I thought Mattix had a really good game. He put in a hell of a shift because he had to. He had to try and make things happen. He was on the left side, he was on the right side, he was through the middle, and he wasn't getting any support. He was trying to to get into space, the ball wasn't going to him, Miller was doing the same to a lesser extent. They they need to get more support up there. But but, we'll kind of have a a chat about the attackers just now. For for what I've just said about Matics there, his work rate's good. He's the joint leader in MLS just now with assists and two. But how long do you persevere with a striker that is not actually scoring but is contributing a decent work rate and the odd assist? Is that enough to keep him in the team or do you have to have your striker putting the ball in the back of the net? Well, you, if as long as you're getting results and you're getting goals, I think you can pursue you with that. Um, they scored four goals in the first and, and, he, and he assisted on the only goal in the, in the second game. So I think you, you can you can live with it for a while, but if you go through a spell where you're not scoring a goal for two or three games, then you got to look at something else and, and, and bring in a striker and put Miller up there and tell Maddox to take a break. I know it might affect his mentality, but if he's not strong enough mentally to be uh, to know that he has to sit on the bench because he's not scoring goals, then maybe he shouldn't be on the team and moved on at that point. Now, they did get shut out by a team that ha- you know has allowed about five goals this season in two games, but this was the first time where the back line of New England was, you know, fully set up. Gonsalves seems to have made a major attitude switch. Um, he was horrible in the first game against Houston. He was the main culprit as to why, you know, they scored four goals, got four goals scored against them. And then Andrew Farrell, who had a really phenomenal game at the right back position, that was his natural position. He was forced to play center back because Gonsalves went, you know, went on a hiatus or whatever because he was worried about his contract so much. So I think that has a little bit to do as well with, you know, you know why the Whitecaps couldn't break against a team that had allowed so many goals so far this year. It's definitely a tough one, and it's one of the major decisions that Carl Robinson has facing him for, for this game. Now, we won't discuss too much of what changes might take place in the team just now. We'll, we'll leave that to your preview podcast on, on Friday, Steve. But, but let's look at some of the, the players that aren't maybe playing the way that they should just now. And a lot of it is in the midfield. There's a severe lack of creativity. We saw it in game one. It was fantastic. Morales came on. He was great. Fernandez attacking display for every minute that he was on the pitch. Started off against Chivas as well. Fernandez looking really good in the first 10, 15 minutes. Then after that, he fell out of that game. And he was just never in the New England game. And... He is he's struggling just now. Do you think it's maybe just that he's struggling on the road, not used to this travel, or I mean, will we see him back to his best on on Saturday at BC Place? Will he even get the chance to start on Saturday? Yeah, that's the big question. For obviously, the big thing is is who do you start? You know, in, for him, like if like the Kukuda Manny has really been one of the prime attackers, prime stories of, of coming off the bench. First game he didn't do anything, but he, he his, his moves kind of created eventually a goal. Second game he got the goal. This last game he wasn't as 
as he did get a shot on net, but I mean, sh- shot, attempted shot, but he wasn't really prevalent in the attack as well. But that, by that time, it seemed like they decided to play for the draw. You would expect by now that he would be fully fit. That's three, you know, extra three weeks, and he's put time in and everything like that. He came on later in this one game. I think it was mostly because of the turf as well. They didn't want to any kind of back issues. They didn't want to put to him because he the most he played was against Chivas on natural grass. So that might be a thing. So they. You'd expect him to be maybe taking Fernandez's spot in the starting lineup. That's my opinion right now. So we won't go into too much of the of the lineup changes, as I said just now, but we just wanted to cover that one. One of the decisions, though, that Robinson did have to make was Nigel Rio Coker. Now, he had a stinker on Saturday. He was booked in the eighth minute as well. I was really surprised that he didn't get sent off because I just thought the way that things were going the way the ref was going, that he wasn't going to see the game out. He did have an early bath in the end, but that's because Carl Robinson hooked him. Talking about Nigel Rio-Coker, he essentially, it's its a funny thing about him. he hes I think he's only had really one good half in, in so far out of the six that he's played in. Um, obviously, two of them were partial. You know, he play, only played a few minutes in there. But the, the second half against New York, he had a couple of good moves there. Other than that, he didn't start off well against New York. Chivas played poorly there and then got substituted off. And then this game, he really, like, it was probably his lowest point so far as a white cap. I don't even remember him play, having this kind of stretch last year. Even when he came on, yeah. and, he came on and, uh, against Toronto, Houston, Chivas. He was one of their better players at that point. I don't remember him being, not sure what's going on with him. And obviously, and Robinson's decision, it might become even easier for him because on Tuesday they revealed at training that Rio Coker got into some kind of accident with his bike or something like that. I don't know. You know the details. You've heard of him before? Uh, he wasn't on a bike. He was just walking down the street. According to Martin McMahon's story on MLSsoccer.com, he wasn't watching where he was going. He fell over a bike rack. Uh, he hit his head. He kind of damaged his head and scratched his face. They're worried that there could be concussion. They still have to check that. That's just pure speculation at the moment. But it does look unlikely that he's going to even be able to play on Saturday. So that does remove the decision that Robinson has to make as to whether he drops him. I think he should have been dropped if he was able to to go on Saturday. I just don't think he should have been in the team. So that decision is going to be made up. And it now gives the chance for Gershon Kofi to come in. But Rio, Rio Coker... Yeah, he, he struggles away from home. There's been very few games that he's done well. He did well in San Jose last year when he did that tackle on Cronin, or at least I remember him doing well because of that tackle on Cronin. I couldn't actually tell if he had a good game. The 4-1 game in Seattle, he did play well in that. He got his goal, he did his Popeye celebration. And then a couple of games he, he, he played right back, so you got to take you, you can't really take those into account. Like yeah. the FC Dallas one, he was playing out of position. So, But his fitness has been a... It's, it's been questioned by us since we saw him the first week of training camp. And the question I would put to you is, should we be worried about his fitness if he is not even mobile enough to avoid a stationary bike rack? <laughs> it's a very good point. Um, and that's the thing, of, we discussed this earlier, how much do these players, like, are, how much can you get out of shape when you're a professional player in the off-season? You should be somewhat in shape by the time the preseason runs around. You should not be worrying about having using preseason to get into shape. 
you should be using preseason to work on tactics, to work on every, everything else to do with the team. Being in shape should be right off the bat. That's where like the a lot of these guys like Alderson, Kofi, a lot of these guys were in shape coming in because of the high HPP. And that, maybe they need to put some other guys in that program too. Andy O'Brien was in perfect shape. And he's a, a even older veteran than Rio Coker. So yeah, he's you gotta, six years on him. You got you got to wonder where Rio Coker's mentality did the contract really play into uh, his head, where he did, wasn't going to work out until he got this contract all sorted out. Yeah, it's definitely I think going to be one of the stories of the season. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. And of course, if he loses his spot on Saturday because he can't go, and the guys come in and do well in his place. How does he get back in the team? He's a big-name player. How do you leave him out? And, of course, another big-name player that was left out on Saturday, Jay Demerit, officially rested. I'm doing that in inverted commas, but no, he was rested. Cal Robinson has said he wants to manage carefully the minutes of his veterans, so he will rest Demerit this year, he will rest Miller, he will rest O'Brien. Leveron came in, had a pretty good partnership with Andy O'Brien. They kept a clean sheet now, they played well together. They didn't let any, in any goals. Is that enough to keep that pairing against Houston? Or does Demerit walk back into the team? Now, if, you, if you're saying that Demerit is being rested, he doesn't need to be rested for two straight weeks. So uh, that definitely tells me that he's going to be back in the team. Why I would you think... rest someone, though, after two games? Well, Henri was rested in, in the opener. So you got that. At least Demer played a couple games before he needed rest. I think they, I think they just didn't want him to play on the turf uh, and, and risk both guys getting injured playing on turf like that. I, I, I and it, maybe they were using and we can only speculate. Maybe they were using this excuse of being rested as sending a message to Demerit and not wanting to embarrass him, but telling him that you know you gotta improve your play because he was uh, a little bit not. You know, on the ball against uh, Chivas and even New York, there were well, some we, moments. We were really critical of him after the Chivas game. Yeah. So, obviously, Carol listens to our podcast, took our advice, rested him. If he does come back in on Saturday, hopefully he's back refreshed. But I think the fact that we saw how well Leveron and O'Brien did link up, any mistake now from Demerit, and, and his his coat is on a sugarly peg, as we say in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, even, we don't even know, maybe Rio Coker... Um, walked into a bike rack I, it could have been a bonding <laughs> exercise that like him and, him and Russell get on well Russell had the bicycle related incident yeah. maybe he just wanted to feel part of that and, yeah. and have something as well I, I think he needs to kind of look where he's going Yeah. Um, just like on the pitch he needs to look where he's passing Yes. we'll leave it at that now the last thing I want to mention about Saturday's game is something which was also evident in the Shivas game in fact, you can also say it was evident in the Houston game. So it was evident in all games this season. That would have been the, the shorter way to say that. Obviously, I'm just trying to get paid for extra seconds here. Carol Robinson is not afraid to make an attacking substitution. Now, you expect that at home. We've seen it now in both road games, and that's such a refreshing change from what Martin Rennie brought with his teams last year. He likes an attacking sub. They've been game-changing subs. Let's just hope this continues. Yeah, uh, last game he used all his subs by the 70th minute, which is usually when Martin Rennie makes his first sub. Of course, at that time of panic, I was worried that we have an injury or a red card or would we yeah. make a sub. So <laughs> the, the reverse panic uh, turned into that. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see that he, he's not... I, I, I like the fact that he made a sub at the halftime. 
he's he's making subs earlier and earlier, and I think at one point he probably will pull, do a sub in the first half sometime if he doesn't see that the team is doing well. It's good to see, like, if he sees something wrong, it, it shows that he's show, seeing something in the game, and if he sees something wrong with it, he'll make an adjustment right away. So we'll see what Saturday holds in store. As we said, Steve's got his special Houston preview podcast coming up on Friday. So we'll move on now from the New England-Vancouver game. And we'll take a little look now at the rest of the Week 3 MLS action. It's time for my MLS Musings. So week three of the 2014 MLS season is in the books. It was a week that saw the return of the official referees and it was a week that made me already miss the replacement guys. Quite a lot of strange decisions, some good ones as well. Lot of cards handed out this week. There was 35 yellow cards and three red cards handed out in this week's nine games. The week kicked off of course on Saturday with the Whitecaps game against New England and that was quickly followed by NBC's Game of the Week, Real Salt Lake hosting Los Angeles Galaxy. Now what I found a little bit strange about this one was we're already three weeks into the season and two of the top teams in the West have already played each other twice. What's up with that? I mean you really would think that MLS would want their top fixtures, which I mean that is one of the top fixtures in the West. You really would think they're going to want that spread over the course of the season and not have the games out of the way altogether right at the start. It was an entertaining game though. Plata nearly scored early for Real Salt Lake and then eventually they did take the lead after some absolutely horrible marking by LA on Saboria's goal. LA tied it up though and took home a point with an absolutely fantastic solo goal by Robbie Keane. Just shows how dangerous he can be and certainly something that the Whitecaps are going to have to watch for with the back-to-back games coming up against the Galaxy in April. All eyes were on Toronto for the next game. TFC's home opener. Under the new regime, the new players and the new hope. The game pulled in Canada's biggest ever audience for an MLS game at 1.6 million over the course of the game. TFC were looking for their first ever back-to-back set of wins to start off the season. Eight years in and they've never recorded back-to-back wins to kick a season off. I mean, it's incredible. They've done it now. But looking back, that's just an absolutely stunning statistic. And that monkey's off their back, so we'll see how many more monkeys get shaken off the back as the season goes on. Jermaine Defoe got his third goal in two games and is looking really sharp and really dangerous. But one of the highlights of the game had to be when Michael Bradley bowled over Petrescu and the refs left there kind of floundering on his back like a turtle that was just trying to flip himself back over. It was a really tough game for DC's Davey Arnault. The ex-Montreal player came under a lot of attention from Toronto's players and Jackson was extremely fortunate not to see a red card during the game for one of the challenges on him. It's going to get reviewed during the week and there's no way that he's not going to see red for that if you ask me. But TFC got the three points and now they head to Salt Lake to take on RSL next Saturday. And that's really going to be a good game to get a gauge as to how good this Toronto team is going to be this year. 
The all-Western clash between Colorado and Portland was a game that had an absolute nightmare for Donovan Ricketts. Ricketts was having a really poor game. He'd spilled a few balls, he just wasn't looking comfortable at all and was certainly not looking like the MLS goalkeeper of the year that he picked up last year. Lots of people have said in the past, we've discussed this on the podcast, that could he have another career year like that or would he go back to how he's played over the years, not being that strong a goalkeeper? If that game on Saturday was anything to go by, this could be a long season for Donovan Ricketts. Sent off for an absolutely clumsy challenge on Deshaun Brown. Penalty. Colorado scored it, took the lead. A couple of minutes later, substitute keeper Andrew Weber of Amazing Race fame was then adjudged to have committed another penalty. Very, very harsh. Was never a penalty, but still. Penalty was given. 2-0 to Colorado. And, well, it set the Rapids on the course for a very important home win. One final thing I want to say about this game, though, is, and I think we've we've discussed this before, the Colorado commentators are my favourite commentators from all the MLS guys. They were fantastic in this game. Really fair, unbiased. They're a joy to listen to. And from the West to the East, and the all-Eastern clash between Columbus and Philadelphia... Now that's one of those games when you see it on the schedule, you're looking at it and it's not one of the games that really excites me. Not something that I would really choose to watch the whole 90 minutes off, so that's why MLS Live's great for the condensed highlights. It was entertaining in stages, there was a few interesting aspects to it. Bernardo and Nor's two goals, they were both excellent. The second one a long range strike, definitely a contender for goal of the week. The first one though was really interesting. He rose and got a header through a big group of Philadelphia players, two men on the post and a goalkeeper. Now, if you're Philadelphia or any team watching that, you are going to be furious that you have let a goal in from that position. When you had so many men between a nor and the goal, there's just no way that that goal should have counted. Now, Philly pulled a late goal back, but Columbus held on for the win and remain unbeaten so far in 2014. Now, three of the remaining four games turned into a little bit of a card fest. Seven yellow cards and one red card dished out in the Dallas Chivas game. Dallas ran out 3 1 winners. It was now now at the half, but Dallas really could have been out of sight by that point. They had a number of opportunities, and it was a combination of some really poor finishing. Blas Perez blasted a couple of chances over, and some really good saves from Dan Kennedy. How many times have we said that over the last couple of years? That guy just keeps Chivas in games. But Dallas stormed back with three goals in the second half, took the three points at home, and they they were comfortable winners. They really, really deserved to win. They are playing some nice football, and and that's going to be tough for the Whitecaps and just shows how much the Caps really need to raise their game because you've got Dallas playing well, you've got Colorado playing well and taking points. So the Whitecaps, great to be unbeaten, but they need to start getting wins on the board, even at this early stage. Now, the game between Kansas City and San Jose was another one that was a bit of a card fest. You do, of course, expect that whenever San Jose are playing. Six yellow cards handed out in this one. And for the Whitecaps, great to see a 1-0 win for Kansas City and a loss for San Jose. KC were very deserved winners and they were so unlucky in the first half. They had a number of chances that they they could have put the ball in the back of the net. There was an incredible sequence at one point in the first half. Where in the one move, there was a goal line clearance. Rebound then came and hit the post. That then came back. And then there was a shocking miss from Opara, just from a couple of yards out, when it would have been easier to bundle the ball in the net. But the way the ball came back off the post, it was just hard for him to put it away. 
KC got the win with a penalty in the end. It was a very harsh handball decision, but hey, it was against San Jose, so good for them. That concluded the action on Saturday. Of course, there was one other game that was meant to be played on Saturday, and that was the Montreal-Seattle game. So the Montreal game, and also the Chicago-New York game, they were played on Sunday. Both very chilly conditions outside. Obviously, Montreal was indoors and under a roof, so that really helped them. In Chicago, though, it was freezing, and it affected the crowd, where the fire fans seemed to have a come-as-a-blue-seat day. One old draw was played out, pretty fair result in the end. New York still are not firing on all cylinders, playing a little bit better than they did when they came through to Vancouver. Chicago still don't really know what to make of them under Frank Yallop. Very strange seeing Matt Watson playing at right back for the fire. Maybe he was the right back that the Whitecaps were needing his back up the whole time and he was here. Although judging by some of his marking and performance in the first half in that position, maybe not. Although he did improve in the second. But as I say, fair result, one old draw there, not too much to talk about. Montreal-Seattle, on the other hand, Seattle looked dominant in that game. And that's worrying, of course, for the Whitecaps if they're now starting to click. Sounders took an early lead after some really bad defending from a, a header from Troy Perkins. Perkins did make up for it with what was my save of the week later on in the first half. Fantastic one-handed stop to keep out Martins. And although Montreal pushed hard to try and get back into the game, there's just no way back for them. And it's looking already like it could be a long, hard season for Montreal. They're going to have to turn things around quite early or they are in danger of being dropped in the East already. So that was the Week 3 action. A couple of good games coming up in Week 4. As we say, Toronto RSL is definitely one that we're looking to watch. And we'll be back next week with our Week 4 MLS Musings. So a busy week of MLS action in the bag and another busy week of MLS action still to come. Now it wasn't just the Whitecaps that got a draw on Saturday. The Whitecaps affiliate Charleston Battery kicked off their 2014 USL Pro season with a 1-0 draw against soon-to-be MLS newcomers Orlando. Now unless you've been living under a rock you're going to know that the Whitecaps have sent 8 players down to Charleston and they're going to make various impacts on the team over the course of the season. So one thing we want to do on the podcast is bring you regular updates as to how the players are going. We're going to speak to some of the players over the course of the season. We're going to speak to some of the guys with their fingers on their pulse down in Charleston. And there's no better person to kick that off with than the guy behind chsoccer.net, which is really the only thing you need to go to for all your Charleston Battery news. So we're going to bring to you now a very comprehensive interview with CHSsoccer.net's Dan Conover. So we're joined now by Dan Conover. He is the guy behind chssoccer.net, which is basically the one site you just need to go to to follow Charleston Battery this season and, and get all the updates as to what's happening to the Whitecaps down there. Thanks so much for joining us, Dan. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Now, before we get into kind of all the ins and outs of what's been a really busy off-season, just kind of wanted to go back to what happened last year with the Whitecaps affiliation. So this is year two now. Um, last year, it kind of seemed to get off to a bit of a slow start. Was that more a case of both sides just trying to find their feet as to how this relationship was going to work? Or was there was there not really a huge appetite at that point for having a lot of the, the MLS guys down in Charleston? I think it was probably... My impression is that these both these clubs see value in each other, but they've wanted to be sure. I think both of them are rather cautious um, and, and pretty serious about what they're doing. So I know that, that once we got our first one, uh, that was Ben Fisk, there was a lot of excitement here. Um, fans and, you know, I think the team was, was pretty psyched about what it could be. Uh, because Ben came in, it was an immediate spark. Now, we talked to a couple of the guys when they came back from the spell down there, and it was mixed reviews. They liked the they liked the club, they liked the fans, they liked the city, but there was a couple of comments made that maybe training wasn't quite what they were used to. Now, obviously, now the the Whitecaps have helped appoint an assistant down in Charleston, Troy, Le, is it Lesesny? Um So... What kind of difference do you think his appointment's going to make? And why did Charleston not have an assistant coach or full-time assistant coach up to that stage? Right. Uh, you know, they have in the past at various times had a full-time assistant. But the thing that was the real eye-opener to me when I started covering this club seriously last year was how tiny it is. I mean, the, the very good club, very well-run club, but everybody on the front office staff does multiple things. It's almost comical sometimes when you see the president of the club out there who also does their play-by-play on radio um, out there, you know, he's the one that's in charge of supervising the people taking care of the turf. And he really knows a lot about grass. I mean, but this is, this is just an example of, of how they get this thing done. Um, in this case, they have gotten along with having uh, the coach, uh, Mike Anheuser, who is who was just this winter elected to the USL Pro or the USL Hall of Fame. He was the coach. He was the general manager. You would see him out there setting up cones for practice. There, he was the person that makes sure that their cable bills get paid. I mean, it's, it's astounding all the things that, that he takes care of. But the your guys coming back and making those comments that they weren't wrong. It wasn't that the coaching here is bad or slack. It's just that and we really see it every year as it's the Carolina Challenge Cup. We have the one coach walk out onto the field, and then whoever we're playing from MLS comes out with a contingent of coaches and trainers and support staff. And everyone here, you, know, you understand that you're, you just can't provide that level uh, on our budget. It's kind of an ad hoc thing at, at times it's that our ad hoc is a little bit better than um, most of the teams in the league. I mean, long-time Whitecaps fans will, will remember Charleston from the D2 days, and they were always a well-run club. They always played some really good football. What's the feeling like around the club and amongst the supporters and the media there of now kind of being an affiliate? Do, do they feel it kind of devalues the importance of the club at all? Now, I, I come from Scotland, and my team there, they're like a, a Tier 3 team there. And there's always a lot of talk about those teams kind of becoming feeder clubs for the, the big teams. And I know a lot of the fans don't want to see that happening. 
Is there kind of a sense of that, or is, are they just glad to see some really top-quality football there? First off, um, last year we had three of your players come in, Ben Fisk, Bryce Alderson, and Emmanuel Ajetti. And they weren't, I think only Bryce was officially on your first-team roster, and he may not have been. I'm not sure about that now. Yeah, no, he was. Um, yeah, so the, the fans were really excited by them coming in. Uh, Bryce and, and uh, Ben both were dealing with injuries through much of the season, so it was kind of um, come and go. But I think everybody had a sense that the players were contributing to the team. Emmanuel Ajedi in particular uh, wound up going from, uh, we watched him develop, and he became a very good USL pro player. Um, so there was a sense that, yes, Vancouver could really contribute to what we were going to be. But I will tell you that coming into this formal affiliation, I think everyone had a lot of questions. I knew I was getting a lot of questions about, well, who did I think Vancouver was going to send? How's it going to be? I think we're just now beginning to see the outline of how this is going to be different for the battery than it is for the other affiliation deals that we've seen in USL Pro. Right now we have eight of your players. That is, you know, but the only other, the most another team has, I think I counted one team that had five. So right now we are benefiting from your talent much more than our competition benefiting from their affiliates. And in general, I would say that, you know, it's, a, it's quite a diverse group in terms of where they fit into the team. We have some guys that are really going to be starters and could be some of the best players in the league. We have some people who are going to be reserves. And, you know, I think one of the first, things that we're dealing with is that some of the um, younger players coming in maybe have pushed away uh, or we don't have room for some of our own rookies who are maybe a little bit closer to being game ready. Too early to know that. But we're you know, probably going to have to find other places for some prospects that I know the coaching staff is really high on because you know, there's just so much talent that's coming from Vancouver. So we had the when I was explaining that in print or you know on the website last week, that was the first time that I heard someone push back and say, you know, man, we're pushing away some of our own good prospects for some people that we really don't have any guarantees they'll be around. But I, I just got to say, I mean, I'm very impressed with what I've seen come down from Vancouver this year, and I think that um, once people really see that uh, product on the field, they'll feel better about it. Yeah, we, we've definitely sent down some really good talent this year. So j- just to look at a couple of them. Now, Mamadou Diouf, we haven't even really seen him here because after he was drafted, he didn't have his visa to come to Vancouver, so no one saw him training. He had a brief spell in Arizona, and then, then he headed to yourself. But from kind of following him from afar and watching some of the highlights, he already seems to be a star in the making. He's kind of lighting it up, had a couple of hat tricks, and, and scored the the opening goal of the season against Orlando on Saturday. How's he looking so far? I mean, does he look to have what it takes to to make it at the top level? So the first thing that was the... Sh- I don't know if you got a chance to look at these numbers, and I've since forgotten the stat. But if you look, the, the big surprise from the first year of affiliation was that we had these, this home-and-away series against MLS teams. Uh, MLS reserve teams that counted in the reserve league standings and in USL Pro. Yeah. And the big surprise was USL Pro dominated that series. I mean, basically, I can't remember what the figure was, but it was shockingly one-sided. 
with the exception of maybe five or six guys that were loaned in last year, very you know very few of the uh, players that came in from these MLS loans were immediate stars. And I think that what that showed us was that you know experience that the difference between a, a really talented 21 year old and a guy who's been playing professional soccer um, even at this this level. Um, at, at age 26, 27, is tremendous. So having said that, when I started looking at just coming in, you know, my thing I was looking at was, well, can he contribute immediately? Because I no longer have that assumption that just because someone is a, a you know, super draft pick that they're ready to go. I think you really hit on somebody when you drafted this guy. <laughs> Number one, I mean, he's one of those players that was considered a real prospect year before his senior year, um, got hurt in his first game uh, of his senior year in college, and basically fought to get back in late. I mean, so you look at his stats, and they're not very impressive. This is, this is somebody who's really very good. And the, the thing that stands out about him to me is that he's a guy that um, he's, good with his, he's good with the ball at his feet. He's good with the ball in the air. He can run. Uh, but he's much more comfortable with somebody that seems to hold up and get the ball to other people. So, And plus, if you've got a chance to watch the tape on, on his score, I mean, he had a really nice little little jig to set that thing up and get himself just enough space to shoot. I, was, I think that you've got a good prospect there. Well, that's certainly good to hear. I mean, every th- when we drafted him, the, the comments that we got from guys that had seen him play at college level was off the pitch as well as on it, he's like such a such a good person and he's got a really good character. Now that kind of then drags me to the next person, which is a bit of a surprise and to many people that we sent him down, which is Omar Salgado. Now Omar is another big talent. We took him first in the 2011 draft, our, our very first ever draft pick. He's been played by injuries the last couple of seasons, but he's also been played by some attitude issues and he kind of seems to rub the coach and staff up the wrong way. Now, obviously, it's early days. I've not seen too much of him down there. But do you think he's going to fit in? And do you think the coaching staff there, will they put up with any attitude? <laughs> no, <laughs> not much for putting up with. Um, they're not much for putting up with attitudes. But let's let's back up for a second. I don't know if you saw um, the photos that I took from the from the first game, from before the first game, as they were coming off the field from warmups. Omar was one of the last people coming off from warm-ups because he was taking more shots. And as he passed Coach Anheuser, Anheuser's reaction to him, I don't know if you've seen pictures, but he's just really excited. And that's just not the way that I'm used to seeing him right before a game. All right. So, number one, I spoke to uh, Salgado for the first time after the game. I had never had a chance to meet him. And very nice, very engaging. Uh, Was at practice today. He is staying after, he's working with Coach Lesane, he's engaging with the other players. You know, I have no clue that this would be somebody that would have had any problems with attitude. Now, granted, he hasn't been here very long, but, he, you know, he struck me as being professional. He was, he was a long time, and if he's gotten that far in his professional development that he knows how to deal with questions, Yeah, well, that, that's good to hear. I mean, he's a really nice kid and he has got a lot of talent and a lot of it was down to frustration with the injuries. And when 
when Camp started here, he looked really good and he looked like he was going to be a regular in the game day 18. So, I mean, hopefully the stint down there is, is really going to benefit him. Another guy that we're hoping it's really going to benefit is Andre Lewis. Now, we have seen a bit of him play in some of the preseason games and he looks another exciting electric talent as well, but very raw, very young. And we find it strange as well that we've got him on loan, but yet he's gone to loan on yourself. I mean, how has he kind of looked so far? Uh, so the first two games that he came out and played in the preseason, and granted this was against college players, you know, he really he stood out. Uh, since then, you know, he picked off of some kind. I can't, I can't even remember what it was now. Um, he was back. He didn't play on, he dressed, he was in the 18 on Saturday. And if things had been a little bit different, if we'd been, Behind late, uh, I suspect he probably would have come in as a sub. Right now, I think he is threatening for time. He hasn't nailed down. I would say he has not yet nailed down a, a, a starting job. He's certainly going to be part of the rotation. There's no question. Um, the question is how much and where. And right now, I mean, the battery was a, was the, one of the best teams in the league last year. Returned a lot of talent. The talent that returned has gotten better. And so there is. A, a good, solid foundation. There has what we lack is what you sent us. We had very good back line. We had very good central midfield, but we didn't have great attacking depth. That's now our strength. So when you figure out where he's going to play, right now I would imagine he will play outside. Um, he says that he likes playing inside more, but there's enough interchange that goes on in our system that. That won't be, I don't think that will be an issue. I think the big thing for him will be in just progressing as a professional. Because, like I said, sort of at the beginning, the surprise was that these very talented young people were coming into USL Pro and then you know, not necessarily being as good as some people that scouts don't look at because their fourth or fifth year in this D3 league, official D3, and I don't know that he has those things yet, but he'll—he really flashed some big stuff. He's fast. Um, he has good vision, no doubt. I mean, the, the the first assist that he gave out was a really remarkable pass, but even more remarkable, I suppose, that he saw that person across the field. Yeah, from from the little bit that we saw, he definitely has a vision, and he he's certainly one to watch. Now, I I won't go through every single player that was sent, but I I just want to ask. Michael Kafari and Adam Mena, are they now officially on the roster or are they still classed as being trialists? I don't think that they would be, the way I understand it, they would not be playing if they weren't under contract. Okay. So the question is, and I haven't been able to get a good answer to this, who are they signed with? <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, I didn't ask about that today. I could, that was something I could have asked about, but we had already run kind of long. And it's not clear to me from, you know, and this, the USL Pro and MLS are not exactly transparent organizations. You don't always understand, by the way, how things are configured. <laughs> yeah. But um, they were not signed uh, before the game against um, Orlando. And then they, they both, Mena started. He didn't have as good a game as he's had leading up to that. He was very active in the beginning and, and came awfully close to scoring a couple of goals. Um, had a shot on frame. 
one of those hitters wound up going straight to the keeper. Kafari is nursing a knee injury, and they are not rushing him back. So their status, they're part of the team. Um, that we've basically, you know, there's, there's at least one person who's not here because of them being there. So definitely part of our plans going forward. I just don't know what, you know, who actually holds their contract. Okay, well that that's interesting and and kind of good to hear. I, I'm a, I'm quite a big fan of Kefari from his New Mexico days. I I watched a lot of their games the last couple of years, and I think he's he's a a good guy for you. What are the hopes for the battery this season? Eight teams make the playoffs. Are you hopeful that that you can get into at least the semi-finals, if not the playoff or the final, and win the whole thing? Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much the the battery are a small club. They're a small club that if the battery finished below third in the table, it's kind of a crisis, right? The fans are like, what the, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Uh, they're expected to big generally win three of their four championships been since 2010. Uh, last year we finished third with a very veteran roster, um, lost, some of, lost basically some of our, our lost a lot of our offense. And I think that without you guys, without your, your players coming in, Charleston would be a team that would have still finished in the you know top three, but it might not have been as exciting. With your guys coming in, and frankly, I think that, well, let me just say this. If Salgado stays the whole year here, I'll be surprised. You know, my, my impression is that he's somebody that we've got for now. If he does very well and he's, he gets his fitness up, I would not be surprised at all to see him go back and start for you guys. But with you know, players like Delgado and Diaz here right now and Mena, these guys are, are all going to be contenders for starting jobs on a weekly basis. Uh, Lewis will probably be in that mix as well. And wouldn't surprise me one bit to see one of those people uh, contending for scoring monitors in the league. With that, you know, if, if we get a go-to scoring player, which is something that we haven't had in the last couple of years, uh, this is a team that could easily contend for the regular season title, certainly could go deep in, in the playoffs. Uh, we just played the best team in the league traditionally. That's Orlando. They're going to MLS in the uh, in team. Uh, they've been signing a bunch of guys to two-year contracts, which is a great way to recruit people for your last, in USL Pro by signing them to a uh, MLS contract, essentially. And they're very good, and they're very deep, and they possess the ball, and we were really close to beating them. They're hard to beat. <laughs> but, you know, once you get past Orlando, there's good teams, they're good teams, but there's a drop-off in talent. And I think that right now, Charleston and Orlando are, are actually pretty close in terms of talent. I'm getting ready to look at Richmond. They finished atop the, the table last season, play them on Saturday. So it sounds like Richmond's going to be a good team again this year. But, you know, your guys are going to get playoff experience, and they're going to be playing for one of the better teams in the league. Um, they're being coached by the, you know, by a 44, 45-year-old coach who was just introduced into the Hall of Fame, uh, primarily for his, his coaching success. And you've got, listen, in, in Troy Lusane, uh, I know he's not someone anyone up there has ever heard of. He coached for the College of Charleston. He was assistant coach for the College of Charleston. 
I mean, that all sounds excellent. So just just the last couple of questions. There's a lot of interest in Charleston and USL Pro up here now because of what's happened with the affiliation. Are the players eligible to play in the US Open Cup? Okay, that's, yes, they are. And they will. There is a limit um, on the number of foreign-born players that you can have on your game day roster in the Open Cup. However, that limit is, really so high that it seldom becomes an issue. And most of your guys are at one point in, in the group. We have um, a couple of Africans. I think that's it. So the others are, uh, are U.S. citizens. They won't be affected. Yeah. But yes, they're going to play in um, those, a lot of those, even the, particularly your guys who are going to be spend most of their time as reserves, they're probably going to get plenty of U.S. Open minutes. And then we're also, no dates have been announced, we are also, uh, I'm told we're going to have two international friendlies this year, one with a European club and one with a club out of Mexico. So they're going to get minutes in that too. That, I mean, that just sounds fantastic. And I, I'm a big fan of the U.S. Open Cup. It's something I wish we had in Canada. And like coming from the U.K., I, I just love cup ties. And to me, the U.S. Open Cups are very undervalued competition by a lot of people in America that just kind of want to watch the major leagues. I mean, it's good that they can uh, play in that. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Charleston is only, only, there's only one club outside of MLS that's won, or won the Cup, MLS, and that's Manchester did it, the second year of MLS. We're the only other team that's made it to a final. And we we had a really good Cup run last year, and we're actually feeding... Um, Real Salt Lake at uh, Sandy, Utah, late in the second half before we just collapsed. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that there's a, a tie out west that I can possibly head down and watch because, I mean, that would be good. So just the, the last thing to ask you, does Charleston actually hold any ambitions to go into MLS? Or are, I mean, looking at the teams that, that play in USL Pro, a lot of them around the east there's not a lot of travelling there's a lot of good derby games Wilmington, Orlando, Charlotte is there an appetite to try and push if MLS expanded into say 28 or 30 teams do you think Charleston would ever want to make the jump one day? I just can't imagine it Um, in 2009 when the people that became NAS came away there was a group of, of teams invited Charleston basically to come with us if it's been successful and Charleston looked at it and I think that my impression is he looked at the whole thing and realized you know we're not even I can't remember what our ranking is as a U.S. market it's somewhere down around 100 it is a nice place to visit it's it's a decent sports town we have we fill typically about 80 percent of our capacity for a home game our capacity is I think that was the really important moment because that was when the club decided we're not going to really be a club that's pushing for promotion. We're going to be a club that's going to be a really good small club. And I think they succeeded in part because they understand and 
developing players that go on to MLS. And it is a common thing for at least one, sometimes two, players from the battery move up. And if you look around the league, typically you have no more than about three players, three to five players from USL Pro that go to MLS and be given here. So that, you know, routinely you're getting one or two from Charleston says a lot about how they see their mission, how they prepare, and, you know, what they consider to be success. Well, that's great. I'm really looking forward to watching the games this year. I watched quite a few of them last year. So thanks so much for your time today, Dan. If you could just let everyone know where they can find you online. Sure. Uh, I'm at chssoccer.net. This is something that I do as a, as a part-time gig, and sometimes it feels like a full-time job, but, yeah, I love having the Vancouver people checking in. And so, yeah, come on in. Love to have you. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for your time. We spoke way longer than I had planned, but I really appreciate that. Hopefully we can touch in with you over the course of the season as well. And uh, just good luck to the battery. So once again, just want to thank Dan. You can follow all the stuff about Charleston Battery this season on chssoccer.net and also on Twitter at chssoccer. Now, I know that was a pretty lengthy interview, so many thanks for staying with it, but there was just so much stuff to talk about that we actually chatted on the phone for about an hour and 20 minutes, so that was the, the kind of cut-down version of it. Some of it was recorded, some of it was just us chatting, but you get a kind of fair fair idea of what's going on in Charleston down there just now. What, what are your thoughts of, of what's happening down there just now? Well, Steve? it's interesting they hired that new coach, uh, a local guy there in Char- in the Carolina area, who's re- really highly uh, regarded. I think you guys mentioned it in, in the interview. So yeah. It's interesting to see that, that they actually hired somebody themselves, the Whitecaps. The interesting thing will be whether this is a long-term thing or does the US, the rumored USL pro team in the lower mainland, does that you know become the Whitecaps' future affiliation? Because it makes sense to... I know... Maybe the owners aren't going to gel as much, or maybe there might be some competition there. But it, it makes sense with you know being so close and everything. You keep a closer eye. And maybe hire your own coaches fully. There would be a benefit of of having the team close at hand and having the coaching staff that you can bring on on a regular basis and have meetings. But in this day of technology, you can have Google Hangouts. You can chat to the coaching staff. I like what they have set up down in Charleston. It seems really good. They're a very professional setup. They've got a lot of high hopes for this season. After Orlando move on at the end of this year as well, I mean, Charleston are pretty much going to be one of the best teams in, in USL Pro. And they seem to really like who we've sent down this year. And I don't think Charleston would be going to all that trouble if they haven't been given some kind of assurance that this is going to be a long-range thing. So we'll have to see how it, it comes out. I mean, we ran the story that Aaron wrote that there has been interest from some parties in having a team in Vancouver... Whether that's going to end up being tied into the Whitecaps or just an actual USL Pro team in Vancouver, we don't know. If it's the latter, then obviously it gives a really good chance for some of the local college guys to to dip their feet into the professional pool. So, I mean, that's all good. So, we'll see how that goes out. We'll follow the fortunes of Charleston this season, but, I mean, it's all looking good just now. Omar Salgado seems to have gone down there with a really good attitude. Mamadou Diaf had a couple of hat-tricks in the pre-season games and scored to go on Saturday. So these guys can only come back to the Whitecaps, I feel, in better shape. So that's it for this, our special 50th episode of There's Still Time. I've been Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander.
And Steve, tell everyone where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed and obviously writing for AFTN. And watch out for Steve's preview podcast that's going to be coming out on Friday with the rest of the AFTN crew. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada and you can find all our writings on AFTN on Canadian Soccer News. Visit that through AFTN.ca or CanadianSoccerNews.com. And also watch out for my writings on Soccerly.com. So Houston Dynamo heading to BC Place on Saturday. What Whitecaps are going to turn up? Is it going to be the team that destroyed New York? Is it going to be the team that struggled on the road? We might get a better indication as to just what the 2014 Whitecaps are going to be like. Either way, we hope to bring you a post-game podcast, Elevators Pending. So until next time, take care, thanks for listening, and mon the caps! One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.